seated. Good to see you here this morning. We are returning back to our study that we began last week out of a little letter of 2 Peter. 2 Peter, uh, towards the end of your New Testament, uh, Peter has written these two letters. We looked at 1 Peter earlier this year, and that was basically about cultivating hope in a hopeless world, and 2 Peter is about faithful living in difficult times. And uh, it is appropriate and relevant to us today in the 21st century as it was in the 1st century. Peter wrote this letter about 64, 66 AD. He was martyred probably in about 67, so this was his last letter that we have anyway that uh, was brought down to us through the centuries as part of the canon of Scripture. Uh, Peter is writing to encourage uh, probably the same group of believers he wrote to in 1 Peter, uh, to faithful living in difficult times. Uh, the first letter of Peter was about external opposition, external persecution, and uh, second Peter is about uh, the danger within the churches themselves of false teachers. And so Peter is working to remind uh, these people and remind us, because it's a part of Scripture, that uh, it is possible to live faithfully in very difficult times. And so for you and I, how do we live faithfully in the midst of a pluralistic society, one where truth is considered to be relative? Uh, how do we live faithfully in the midst of a world that seems to have gone mad? And Peter is writing to encourage us about these things. <clears throat> I was reflecting on a reading about a man uh, named Max Dupree this week. Max Dupree uh, was the head of a Fortune 500 company. You may have heard of Herman Miller. He was the CEO of Herman Miller for many years, and uh, Dupree has written many classic books on leadership, and he anchored the board of trustees at Fuller Seminary down in California for some 40 years. And he was often asked to speak about leadership principles, and at one of those sessions, he was asked this question, what is the most difficult thing that you personally have had to work on? Uh, that's always a, a good question. What is the most difficult thing you have to work on? And Max Dupree's response was this. It is the interception of entropy. Entropy. Uh, entropy is a term from physics. Now, I'm the last guy you want teaching you about physics because uh, I struggled through one semester of physics at Montana State. And I learned enough there to know I never wanted to take physics again. But anyway, entropy is a term from physics, and it has something to do with the second law of thermodynamics and the availability of energy. In other words, our universe is winding down and is in decay, according to scientists and physicists, and is winding down, and that is how we can tell time and a number of other things. And it is in the process of deteriorating. It is the decay of the universe. And entropy, entropy is uh, not only the great enemy of the universe, but is the great enemy of all human beings, actually, and especially our human spirit, and especially for Christians, that we don't want to be uh, in entropy. A person becomes apathetic or complacent uh, and settles for the path of least resistance. That's entropy. And uh, dreams die, hopes fade, and terrible things happen. Uh, a person can learn to live with mediocrity. Uh, in fact, uh, I think it was years ago, one of the politicians said the country was in a malaise of mediocrity. And that is entropy, where it is deteriorating and in decay. 
is the great enemy of our spirits. And the book of Proverbs has something to say about that. Proverbs 27, 23 through 24, even though he's referring to livestock here, the principle is, is the fact that we need to be careful about what we give up and what we are willing to accept. Proverbs says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and the crown is not secure for all generations. Every day we have to be on the lookout for entropy. Uh, though things may have been okay yesterday, that's no guarantee that they're going to stay that way forever, is it? Uh, any area of your life that you put on autopilot is a, the area of danger, basically, and a risk that is uh, destructive, really, to, especially to us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. An unrelated word, which you may be more familiar with, I am, is atrophy. If you've ever suffered an injury and have had a cast, you know what atrophy is. Atrophy refers to our physical being and the decay or deterioration of our muscle mass. And uh, when I was working in the logging industry, my first year in the logging industry, I was in an uh, industrial accident, they call it. And my leg ended up in a full leg cast for a number of weeks. And finally, when I got it off, this, my right leg was normal size. My left leg was, you know, like a pencil. And I was walking circles, you know, because my stronger leg kept me going this way. Not really. But, uh, so you know what atrophy is. And it's the deterioration, and it took me over a year to finally regain what I felt was uh, the good use of my leg that was equal to my leg that was not injured. And so we know what atrophy is, and that's the danger. It's a metaphor for the spiritual life. Our spiritual life can atrophy, and if we don't pay close attention to it, it can atrophy and be suffering the decay of the value. Uh, I think of uh, a couple of students uh, in college, and one asked the other, what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? And the other student replied, I don't know and I don't care. And we don't want to be like that, do we? We don't want to be apathetic or ignorant, and that's why we ask you here at Grace Point Church, you bring three things on Sunday morning. You bring your brain, you bring your Bible, and you bring something to write with if you are the type to take notes. Uh, but uh, so we don't want to be ignorant or apathetic. And Peter here in chapter one, we did a little bit of an introduction and an overview of First Peter last week. And remember the four major sections. Do you remember the first section? It's about the believers. The first three begin with the letter N. The nurture the believers. No, no, no. That's the second one. He almost tricked me. Nature, okay, and that is the work of God, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Then it's the believer's nurture, chapter 1, the word of God, chapter 12 through the end of chapter 1. Then all of chapter 2 is warnings about our nemesis, our enemy. One of our enemies is false teachers, the war of false teachers. And then in chapter 3, we have the believer's hope. There we go. Dan gets the gold stars today. Believers hope, and that is the <laughs> see it pays to bring back back your uh, outline from last week. Uh, that is the believers hope is the return of Christ, and so Peter is telling us about these things. And in chapter one, we're still in this aspect of our nature, the work of God, the work of God. 
Now, anytime you see a condition or a consequence in Scripture, you look for the other thing. In other words, if you look at the consequences in Scripture, when the Bible says something is going to happen, you look for the condition. And so, first of all, in verses 8 through 15, we are going to look at the consequences, which are the prophets. The prophets, not the Old Testament prophets, but we can the prophets we are going to accumulate because of something here. If you notice when Dave was reading verses 8 through 15 that a phrase kept reoccurring depending upon the version that you use, the Bible version. And it is these qualities or these things kept reoccurring. Look again at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, verse 9, for he who lacks these qualities, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 10. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Verse 12. I will always be ready to remind you of these things. And verse 15. You will be able to be called these things to mind. And so the aspect is these things. Remember last week we talked about this, this little letter of Peter, 2 Peter. He uses the word know or knowledge to bring the mind some 16 times. And so we know that it's important that we think about, that we engage our minds in this thing called the spiritual life. And Peter is encouraging us here that this is our nature, and these are the consequences or the profitable things that we get in verses 8 through 15. These things that he talks about have guarantees to them, and they guarantee three basic things. They guarantee three basic things. Look again at verse 8. First of all, they guarantee our usefulness and our fruitfulness. Look at verse 8 with me. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who doesn't want to be useful and fruitful? You know, I think that all of us want our lives to matter. We want to make a difference. This was one of the biggest struggles I had when I was agnostic as a college student and atheistic and then back to agnosticism as I struggled with this whole issue of meaning. What does my life mean? What difference does it make if there is no higher being, if there is no God? What does it matter? And you can quickly sink into a malaise where it says it doesn't matter. And yet for the Christian, we want to be useful and fruitful. And a life of meaning, and oftentimes our danger in North America is we measure that in a lot of different ways, don't we? We want to measure it correctly. Sometimes I think in the Christian life, we think, you know, if you have some kind of a big city ministry, you write a lot of books and all this involvement and success in the, in the business world, whatever it is, we think that that is usefulness and fruitfulness. I'm not sure God looks at it all the same way that we do. I remember when we were in Indonesia, and we were back in uh, on the island of Borneo in West Kalimantan, and uh, we met a number of tribal people there. We were in the Samangong tribe, which is a river tribe of Nayak peoples, and that had been evangelized in the 1970s, and there was a people movement, and out of the tribe of some 25,000, there were some six to 8,000 believers within this tribe. And one of the men we met uh, was an evangelist. That was his spiritual gift. And his wife was dying of cancer. He had very few teeth in his head, uh, but he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would travel to what they called the outreach areas, to these pagan villages, these animistic villages. And he would walk for hours and hours to get there, and oftentimes rejected 
uh, for being there and spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think he's useful and fruitful. But to this day, some 20 years later, he is still evangelizing into these different villages as they spread the gospel through that area of the world. And so usefulness and fruitfulness, that is the promise here. If we employ and have, possess, and are increasing in these things, and we're going to talk about these things in a moment because we're talking now about the profitableness of them or the consequences of the condition. The second thing that is promised is vision in verse 9. And he uses the negative, Peter uses the negative in verse 9, if you look at verse 9 here. It says, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from former sins. So he uses a negative relationship here, that if you don't have these things, if you don't use them and exercise them, there will be three things. You'll be blind, you'll be short-sighted, and you'll be forgetful. And I think of uh, one with vision, and vision doesn't mean we see into the future, but vision means that we are aware and sensitive to what God is doing. How do we do that? Through the Word of God. We read the Word of God, we study the Word of God, and we allow God to apply it to our lives, and we use it. And I think uh, some men of vision were found clear back in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, the sons of Issachar. This was a tribe, and at that point in time, the sons of Issachar tells us that they uh, understood the time, they had knowledge of what Israel should do. Boy, if we should be like the sons of Issachar, it doesn't mean that we're really bright and smart. It means that we observe the world around us through the lens of God's word, through his will, and we know what we should do individually and as a church, and that's what we're doing. So we're promised the flip side of being blind and short-sighted and forgetful is that we see, we have light to our path, that uh, we're not short-sighted, we have long vision, we keep the long view in mind, and also, we're not forgetful of what God has done in our lives. And that's very easy to do. If you've been a believer for decades, uh, it's easy to kind of forget what we were rescued from. Or perhaps you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ at age five, you know. Uh, and it's hard to remember how magnificent the grace of God is. And we need to review that. We need not forget, no matter if you were five or 55, when you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation to remember that great grace. So usefulness, fruitfulness, we'll have vision in the sense that we'll see what God's doing, join him in that. And then the third promise or guarantee of these things is the security of our salvation. Look at verses 10 and 11, the security of our salvation. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Basically, literally, he's talking about the calling and election that God has done for every believer. And the, the doubt is not on God's part. Remember, these people, false teachers were coming in and telling them probably that they didn't, weren't saved. They didn't know what was going on. And so they started to doubt their own salvation started to think they could lose their salvation. So the doubt was not on God's part, the doubt was on the listener's part or the reader's part, and he's encouraging them that you will not stumble in the fact or you won't fall in the fact that you will doubt your own salvation. He's encouraging them for the security of their salvation and their calling and election. 
And then in verse uh, 11 there at the end, that the Lord Jesus Savior will be, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will abundantly supply to you. In other words, we look forward to that great time when Jesus Christ himself will welcome us into heaven. So those are the prophets, usefulness, fruitfulness, vision, security of our salvation. Those are the consequences of some conditions. Now the conditions are found in verses 5 through 7, but before we look at those, we need to remind ourselves of verses 1 through 4. Because this is one of the tensions, if you've been a believer for any length of time at all, you know there's a tension in the fact of our sanctification. In other words, remember when you were saved, that was called justification. When you received Christ for your eternal well-being, you were justified, you were declared righteous, Christ's righteousness was imputed unto you. In other words, to your account, it's nothing of us, it's all of grace by faith. And so we were justified at that moment that we trusted in Christ for our eternal life. And then we look forward to our glorification when we enter heaven, and that also is by grace through faith, because there's nothing we can do to enter heaven on our own, it is only by grace through faith, that's called glorification. But the big part in between, and you all look pretty much alive to me, so if you're a believer, you're in the big part in between of sanctification, which is being set apart unto the holiness of God. We've been saved from the penalty of sin and justification. We will be saved from the very presence of sin in glorification, but we are being saved from the power of sin in our justification. Remember, salvation is not just that time in history past where you accepted Jesus Christ for your eternal well-being. It is this whole package of justification, sanctification, glorification. That is what salvation is. And so when we talk about salvation, when we talk about our sanctification, it gets a little fuzzy for us, doesn't it? Uh, because we see that we're commanded to do certain things, and yet God is doing certain things, and there's a tension there in this fact of sanctification. And uh, that's what we come to in what, in what Peter is saying. Remember in verses 1 through 4, <clears throat> Peter greets them in verse 1, but in verse 2, he greets them, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now this is key. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Remember, it is God's power in us, and yet he has invited us to join him in this process, this journey of sanctification. We don't just sit back in a rocky chair and say, okay, God just changed me, but we are given opportunities to partner with Jesus Christ as he changes us, as he saves us from the very power of sin. One thing to remember is when you accepted Christ as Savior, if you're a believer, uh, your spirit and soul were rescued, but this flesh is not redeemed yet. And the Bible in Romans talks about this war of the flesh, this, the, the fleshly nature against the spiritual nature. And we, if you're honest with yourself, we have not reached absolute perfection, have we, in this life? And so there's an ongoing process of God working in us, but we being receptive to his work in us. That's why we're given the Holy Spirit. That's why we're given the Word. And so in verse 4, he says, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So it is by God's power 
that he justified us. It's by God's power that he will glorify us, and it is by God's power that he will sanctify us. But he has invited us, and he demands of us, essentially, that we partner with him in the sense of the sanctification, because we have to be agreeable to what he's asking us to do. And so that takes us to the procedures. We've looked at the profitableness in verses 8 through 15. Now we back up and we understand what these things are. What are these things in verses 5 through 7? The condition, and there are eight qualities here. These things, there are eight of them. Look at verse 5. What is the first one? Well, he tells us now, for this reason, also applying all diligence. What is the first quality? Now, applying all diligence, that covers all eight. But that, that, that's a good, good observation. Faith. Okay, Ralph got it. Faith is the first one. And faith is that personal. You know, in the Bible, it uses two different ways of using the word faith. We talk about the faith, which is the, the, the whole package of Christian faith. That is the faith. But it also talks about individual faith. Remember in his greeting up above, he said to those in verse 1, to those who have received a faith is the same kind as ours. So he's referring to an individual's exercise of faith, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first quality is faith, and that kind of wraps up all the rest of them. So faith, and then what's the second quality? Okay, goodness or moral excellence. Okay, the third one? Knowledge, fourth one, self-control, fifth one, sixth one, godliness, okay, seventh one, and the final one, okay, love, and that's also, that is a package, you know, it begins with faith, ends with uh, what is called agape love, this is the love that was demonstrated by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for you and I, it's that selfless sacrifice for the good of another. And that's the kind of love. And some see this as kind of a progression. I see it more as a package. That God is working in his power to sanctify us. And he gives us these things. But he noticed we exercise those. Remember down in verse 8. If these qualities are yours and are increasing. In other words, there's an aspect where we analyze our own life. And we look back and we say, is my faith increasing? You know, and... When, it, when it's in those gut-wrenching times when it seems like everything has fallen apart in my life and God is nowhere to be seen, do I still have faith? Is my faith growing that I know from the declaration of the Word of God that He will never leave me and forsake or forsake me? Do I really, really believe that? And so we look at that. And then we look at the aspect of moral excellence. Do I have a sin issue in my life that's hidden from everybody else and yet I know that it's not hidden from God? And this moral excellence, this purity of life, that I can look back and I can see that God is taking it away from me, that he's removing it from me. I think I've told you before, when I worked in the logging industry, of course, I was a pagan when I started there. And uh, we learned to cuss like loggers. And uh, I had a difficult time getting rid of swearing. I, I, I just, you know, it was, it was an art form, I think. Swearing was an art form. And uh, we couldn't go through a sentence without using a number of swear words. And after I became a believer, it just broke my heart. God was just breaking my heart. And I'd be out there in the woods. And uh, don't tell anybody, the loggers do cry. And 
And I can remember one day where a, a piece of metal hit me right in the mouth and split my lip. And I let out this big swear word, or a string of them, and it just broke me. I just cried because I knew God did not want me doing that. And I prayed and prayed about it. And then about six months later, I realized God's taken that away from me. I don't do that anymore. And he did that, that issue of moral excellence. So each one of us has something in our life that we need to allow God to clean out and take care of that. And then knowledge, am I growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I uh, engaging in the material? I've been to a number of uh, classes and seminars where the challenge is for every student, just because you're there doesn't mean you know what's going on. You have to engage the material. And for us as believers, that's primarily scripture and then other things that are teaching you, whether it's your devotions or devotional writers or something to engage. And then self-control is another one. And we're going to talk about self-control and perseverance is number five. Are you persevering in the Christian life even when the whole world tells you that you're crazy? You know, and that's exactly what's happening in our culture. And we wonder, okay, I, I hold you a certain value system, and yet the whole world looks down its nose at my value system. Godliness. In other words, am I growing in my Christian faith? Is God doing a work in my life? Brotherly kindness. That's the word we get the word Philadelphia from, the city of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. And that uh, horizontal kind of love. And then the final wrapping of what is love itself. And that great agape self-sacrificial love. That is the real test. That is the culmination, if you will, and the wrapping up of all of these qualities. <coughs> Over the next several weeks, we will unpack those eight qualities, these things, a little more, so we have a better understanding. So today, the question is, is, uh, is your spiritual life, is your faith in atrophy? In other words, uh, is it deteriorated? The muscle mass of your spiritual life, has it gone away? Or is it growing? Are you building every day? Are you increasing in these qualities? And that's an issue between you and the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, I can sit down and talk with you about these things, but ultimately you have to analyze your life honestly, examine your life honestly before God and with the power of the Holy Spirit with his word and say, am I increasing? Am I growing in these qualities? These things, are they a representative of my life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because even though the universe is winding down, the Christian should be building up because of the power of the Holy Spirit, God's work in your life, through his word, applying these things, and you will be surrendered, submissive to his work in your life. And that is the key. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Again, as we do a real quick look at uh, this first chapter of Peter, thank you again for reminding us that our nature as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is really your work, and we just submit to that work in our lives. And I pray, Lord, for each one here and for each person, Lord, that we would be uh, very honest with ourselves. Are we growing and increasing in these qualities and these things? so that we would be fruitful, that our lives would have great meaning, and that we would have vision to see where you're working and join you in that. And Lord, that uh, you would be blessed by our lives. And Lord, we thank you that you are with us today. 
And we thank you for blessing us with your word. In Jesus' name, amen.